Hello everybody, welcome to the Blizzard's Greatest Games podcast. My name is Marcus Speller. With me of course is Jonathan Wilson and with us is Brian Homewood. Brian is a freelance journalist based in Portugal who has worked for Reuters and contributed to World Soccer, ESPN and When Saturday Comes among others. He has covered numerous Africa Cup of Nations and Copper America tournaments as well. Brian, welcome to the pod. Thanks very much, Marcus. Today we go back to March 1981. The stage was the Bolian ground and the match was West Ham United 1, Dinamo Tbilisi 4. Brian, why have you gone for this game? Uh, I've gone for this game, first of all, because I was there. I was a part-time West Ham supporter at the, uh, at the time. <laughs> um, and and it was just an incredible match um, because of the, the, the way Tony Motobliese was such a surprise to most people at the time, even though they had beaten Liverpool three seasons earlier. But it was just such a... Um, I think everyone who was at the, at the game was struck by the, the, the quality of the, the play. And, and, and they were absolutely lethal on the counter-attack. Every time they, they, they came forward, it looks as if they were going to score. And they, their technique was seemed to be... Uh, Different level above West Ham. Uh, I think we had the idea at the time that that, um, that foreign teams wouldn't be able to handle the atmosphere at, um, at Upton <laughs> Park. They were intimidated by because the crowd was incredibly close to the, the pitch in those mm. days. Um, and I think West Ham had an almost perfect home record in, in European competition before then. They hadn't, if I remember rightly, they they lost one out of eleven or twelve previous. Home games in that they taken part in the Cup and this Cup. This was the, the fourth time they taken part in the Cup and this Cup, and I think they'd lost one game at, at home, and um, they were running away with the second division at the time. It was one of the be- even though they were in the second division, it was one of the best teams they they'd ever had, and I don't think anyone um, really expected. No one, no one imagined what was going to happen, and. Um, the police got a pretty much a standing ovation at the end, um, which was surprising as well, because this being at the height of the, the Cold War, of course, mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah. Well, of course, West Ham had won the FA Cup. West Ham had won the FA Cup to qualify for the Cup Winners' Cup, hence the name of the yes. tournament. So there were no mugs, of course. Yeah. Um, no, exactly. I think people thought they were, and, and they got... I remember rightly, they got to the League Cup final the same the same year, and I think people thought they could actually they could actually win. They could go on to win it. If you look at the the lineup at the time, the other teams were there was Newport County in the quarterfinals, uh, mm. the Welsh Cup winners. They were in the third division at the time. You had um, Kalzaisiana, uh, Slav- Slavia Sofia. Uh, the strongest contenders seemed to be Final, Fortuna Dusseldorf, and um, Benfica. Um, and the final was in in, in Dusseldorf. Um, uh, you've got to remember at the time as well. You know, teams like Tbilisi, we knew nothing, almost nothing about. People didn't even know where Tbilisi is, I don't think. And there was this general assumption that it was in Russia. Um, people didn't. I don't think anyone even heard of Georgia at the time. It, uh, it was, um, you know, you tended to uh, Soviet Union, Russia. You use the word interchangeably, almost. Uh, it's com- it was completely different from nowadays when when you face a team in Europe, you 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 know all about them. 
all the details of the players and everything. Um, so that's that's why I've gone for it. it was, yeah, but they, was they were by far the best. They were by far the best team I ever saw play at Upton Park. Yeah, I mean, by, by a long way. In the list. Of- in the list of cup winners, cup winners, obviously the, the trophy is no longer, but we enjoyed yeah. it. It was great while it lasted. There are a number of teams who, if you look at the winners list, Jonathan, of of the teams who have won the cup or who who won the cup, you know, a, a number of them are currently a long way off from winning another European trophy. Again, it's fair to say, but to the modern football fan and younger listeners, the name Dinamo Tbilisi is possibly the most obscure name on that list of winners. Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, I think the Cup Winners' Cup, the quality varied radically from season to season, for, you know, mm. for very obvious reasons. That you know, the the UEFA Cup or the First Cup, because you had three or four or five clubs per country, you you sort of had a critical mass of quality. Uh, the the European Cup, because it was the champions, you obviously had quality. The Cup Winners' Cup, UK, you quite often got freakish winners of of cups. So you could get some very weak years, or you could get some very strong years, and I think, as Brian says, this this at first glance looks a pretty weak year. Uh, the, you know, the English winners are a second division team. Okay, the you know a, a team was probably was better than the second division, and Dinamo Tbilisi, who who people probably didn't know much about, although they, as you know, as Brian mentioned, they had put Liverpool out of the European Cup the previous season when they'd been absolutely brilliant in the Pashadza. <laughs> and this idea that Dinamo Tbilisi might be intimidated by the Berlin ground. <laughs> if you've ever been to the Paishadza, I mean, I've only been once, and it's one of those classic sort of concrete bowls. It's huge. Yeah. But you're you scared see... to go back, Jonathan. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I was there for a, an Intertoto Cup game. Um, and it wasn't even Dinamo, it was Vit Georgia Tbilisi were playing SV Reed of Austria. And. You could see, I mean, it was like, I don't know, it was like 15,000 there and there's 80,000 bowl. But you could see what it might have been like. And you look at pictures of when they beat Liverpool. Um, and that, that game, a sort of famous image is afterwards when they've all rolled up newspapers and set them on fire and there's all these blazing torches. And you know, even even <laughs> if you look back at, at, at sort of Soviet memoirs from footballers, um, players who played for Moscow clubs off of Dynamo Kiev, they talk about going to Tbilisi as being pretty terrifying it was a it was an unruly lawless place with you know 80,000 people going berserk so I think if you've grown up playing in that environment even Upton Park on a, on a bad night isn't yeah. really gonna gonna shake you that much <laughs> but this was a team who who you know the team had been together for four or five seasons this was really at its peak you see it declines very rapidly after this but they'd they'd won the league in 78 and they won the Soviet Cup in in 76 and 79. So this was a team that had been together and was in its real sort of purple patch of form. And West Ham got them on maybe their best ever night. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, some say, Jonathan, Dinamo was sort of a, a de facto national team for, for Georgia. For Georgia, yeah, that's 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 true. I mean, it's, it's very... You remember that conversation we had with um, Sasha Gurionov about yeah. the... Um, the complications of Spartak and, and, and Dynamo Kiev. And Dynamo the Dynamo Club was run by the by the Interior Ministry, by the by the secret police. Uh so that immediately creates a slight divide. And if you're a hardcore Georgian nationalist, you don't support the Soviet secret police team. But for the vast majority of people, yes, it is a de facto Georgian national team. All the players are Georgian. Um and they you know all the sort of resources of the state 
other states football go into that 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 one club and you know they're, they're a team who the, the the story was always told that oh, they were the Laurenti Berea's team and Berea was you know the head of the NKVD of Stalin's secret police the foreigners of the KGB and while that may be true if he really was fixing games as it was alleged he did he was really bad at it because he didn't win anything till 1964 <laughs> which was 11 years after he died <laughs> so I, I yeah. tend to take that with a slight pinch of salt but yes they were the secret police team and they were very much the, the sort of Georgian Georgian national team and most of the time, the only Georgian mm. team in the Soviet top flight. Mm. That, that, that puts a different light on this. Yeah, that puts a different light on this idea that they might have been um, plucky outsiders, really, what, what, what you've just said. <laughs> well, I mean, but the uh, yeah, thing I mean, is, they, like, kind of, they kind of are outsiders in, in the sense that they are Georgians within the Soviet Union. And Georgia clearly mm. is, is not one of the, the two main powers in the Soviet Union. So from that point of view, they are outsiders, but they're the secret police team. So from that point yeah. of view, and this is exactly the conversation we had with Sasha about Dynamo Kiev, this, this odd position they have of being within their own republic, absolutely the, the establishment, but within the context of the mm. Soviet Union, outsiders in, in, in a particular sense. Yeah, I suppose it's I suppose it's not too different to some, some clubs in some small European countries nowadays. It's like, I don't know, maybe... Dynamo, Dynamo Zagreb, um, you know, who, who win the Croatian championship every year, but when they get into, to Europe, they're, 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 they're outside their minnows. Well, I mean, Dynamo Zagreb were, were equally the, you know, the secret police team of, of, of Croatia. And then when Tuzman takes power, you know, he, he makes them initially, he makes them Croatia Zagreb. He changes the team's name, um, you know, to emphasize they are the team of the nation and they then change it back. So, so yeah, there's absolutely, I think, that, that sense. Hmm. Um, I mean, talk, going back to the football itself, I mean, we know that, that you know a lot of teams from from the Soviet Union in that era. There was a sort of certain playing styles and and whatnot. But this from uh, Craig McCracken, who wrote in the Guardian, uh, Dinamo Tbilisi blended the best of two seemingly conflicting playing styles, the hard-running, quick-passing game, typical of Russian and Ukrainian teams, and the more traditional Georgian and Armenian game based around individual skill and self-expression. I mean, Brian, you, you said that they've you know, wowed the crowd at, uh, at Old Upton Park and they got a standing ovation. I mean, I, you know, this is the kind of thing that you saw on that uh, memorable evening. Well, funnily enough, actually, although we say nothing was known about them, in the, in the West Ham programme notes, there was um, a description much like that. So they had managed to get some information. It said um, their style is uh, inventive, brilliantly technical, and attacking football, the players enjoy, the players are allowed to express themselves and enjoy doing so. It was, they didn't, they didn't dominate the match from start to finish. It was, it was, it was, um, they played in spurts. And, but when they put, but their, as I said, their technique and their movement was just in a, in a, in a different class. Um, I think one match report I read at the time said that, um, West Ham, West Ham's players moved like wooden soldiers in, com- in comparison to, to, to Gleesby. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting, Jonathan, because they, again, so some reports you read about that, uh, Dinamo side. They like to mix up the pace and the tempo. It wasn't all just power and pace. It was almost a bit start and stop, which is what Brian is suggesting. Yeah, I mean, as you suggested with our quote before, Georgian football, the stereotype is of it's you know, dribblers, 
Mm-hmm. And again, if you, if you read match reports from the 50s and 60s, they'll always talk about how if you were a dribbler from from Moscow and you went there, the crowd would would support would would cheer you if you dribble past two two Dynamo Tbilisi players. They you know they they like their dribblers. So Edward Streltsov, the you know the great doomed centre forward of Torpedo, uh, I think his first ever league goal was at the Paisadze. Maybe not against Dynamo Tbilisi because in those days they used to play the early season games in the south because of the the decline because of the winter. Um, and uh, yeah, he was always a huge favourite in Tbilisi because of his, his technical ability. So I, I think what you, what you see, and this is true in Armenia as well, when, um, uh, when, you know, when uh, Yerevan did the double in 73, I think, and Nikita Simonian, who was you know, the great Spartak centre forward, of Armenian descent goes goes there, and he sort of takes the sort of technic, raw technical ability, and he, he imposes a structure. And I think you see a similar thing with this Dynamo in this period that we're talking about, the sort of late seventies, early eighties, under Nodarak Alkatsi, who was the coach all the way through that period, sort of seven or eight years he was in charge. And he he was very much about sort of taking this individual brilliance and and creating a framework in in which that could could have a bit more. A bit more structure than it had had. Hmm. Um, yeah, when you're talking about they like a dribbler in Georgia, I mean, I think of a more modern reference, although not that modern, I suppose nowadays. Georgie King Cladsey. Yeah, but he, he's absolutely he's he's the absolute mm. cl- archetype of the uh, mm. of a Georgian player. And you think of, uh, I mean, in that torpedo team alongside uh, Streltsov, um, they had Slava Metrovelli, who of course, was a winger. I think the keeper in that team was a Georgian as well. But yeah, if, if Georgians made it to Moscow, they tended to be wingers uh, and they would be these you know, these great dribblers. That that was what Georgian football was, was about. Excellent. All right, we'll have a, a quick break, everybody. And then after that, we will talk about the match itself. Back in a sec. Welcome back, everybody. Right, let's get to uh, the match itself. So yes, Brian, it was... Uh, it was, uh, I'm assuming, a sort of slightly chilly uh, March evening it in was, East London. It was wet and chilly, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, the scenes from uh, the YouTube clips I could find sort of testify to that. But what about West Ham themselves? Uh, West Ham, their David Cross was up front, of course. Uh, Trevor Brooking was in Trevor the Trevor Brooking, said. Alan, yeah. Alan Devonshire, uh, Phil mm. Parks in goal, Ray Stewart right back, if I remember rightly. Um, Frank Lampard Sr. was playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we had David Cross finished as top scorer in the competition. Strangely enough, mm. six goals. Um, they played. They got past Castilla Madrid in the um, in in the in the first round. Uh, the second leg was Castilla Madrid were were um, Real Madrid's reserve side. The second leg was played behind closed doors at Upton Park because of um, crowd bribes in the first leg in Madrid. They then thumped. Uh, Romanian team, Polytechnicus Timisoara, in in the second round. The the the, the match itself, um, yeah, it was it went pretty much as expected for the first twenty minutes, then twenty five minutes, then um, then Chiradzi scored this. He got the ball, I think, inside his own half. He burst forward and he just thumped the shot from from <laughs> the middle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a, a brilliant goal. Really it really is. <laughs> it's worth YouTubing if you haven't seen it. But yeah, exactly. There is that. that is that the YouTube with the 
video with the old um, Soviet commentary. Yes, I believe yeah. so. Yeah. And the, the quality of the footage is appalling. It's almost mm. impossible to work yes. with who anybody is. <laughs> yes. And um, actually, the second leg, I couldn't find anything at all. Have you found anything from the second I, leg? I haven't, didn't find that, no. But which, I mean, that, that, that first goal... The, the idea that this this bloke was their sweeper, he was their centre back. Yes, just just drives forward, <laughs> uh, and, and I mean nobody nobody challenges him. Is is the criticism you make? The defence backs off and backs yeah. off. Then as exactly. soon as they they stop, he just pings it in the top corner from twenty five thirty um, yards. Yeah, but yeah, between twenty five and thirty yards, I think that's about right. Yeah, and of course he'd go on to score against Scotland in the World Cup. Later that summer, oh sorry, the following summer, that uh, uh-huh, yeah, in Scotland maybe should have been forewarned that he was a bit more than just a centre back. Yeah, but I mean, it shows you, Brian, the the the, the sort of maybe the lack of understanding. Because I mean, I'm sure if you know that was a you know as it was the old Division Two then, if if the opposition centre half has strode forward <laughs> and, he's, and he's going through, you you would back off, wouldn't you? You'd think, oh, yes. okay, whatever yeah. you want to do, have a go, and we'll get the goal kick and we can start again. <laughs> Perhaps. I mean, what was the feeling when that goal went in? Was it kind of like, oh, hang on, it's a big, this is there was a bit this of a kind of collective like um, gasp. But I, I mean, I didn't see it to be honest because I didn't. Actually, if you were standing on the north bank behind the goal. In, in those days, you couldn't actually see the goal. Um, <laughs> you, you could only, you would only know what's happened by the reaction yeah. of the crowd. And um, so there was just like this collective sort of um, sense of awe almost, the way he hit it. Um, yeah. So that was the first goal. And then, then a few minutes later, there was a, I seem to remember a mix up in the, Complete mix-up in the West West Ham defence, and he scored another one. Yeah, it's a it's a West Ham corner, which is clear. Yeah, other. exactly. Yeah, it, it's sort of a it's not it's not sort of a a precise breakaway. It's sort of a bit of an up and under, and and Ray Stewart sort of gets caught underneath it by Goodsafe, who then runs on. And it's one of those occasions where as soon as Goodsafe has the board, he has a goal. Yeah, he's yeah. so yes. in control yeah. of that, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no way Parks is stopping him. No. Yeah. I think I think that certainly becomes a theme, doesn't it? With and that was a sign of things to come. You have the spectacular first goal, but in that second goal, it was just you know I think it was Ray Stewart, as you, you say, that, that sort of got a bit caught up, and it's it's just pounced upon, and it's a siege onto the goal just by a single player. There's no doubt that he was going to put that away, and you must yeah. be thinking then if you're a West Ham United fan, uh, Brian, well, hang on, this this could be quite a long night. Yes, we were. Yes. I, although there was still a sense that if they could get one, you, you, you know, well, there was still that sense of if we could get one back, anything mm. could happen. But, but yeah, no, no one quite. No, you're right. There was this sense that every time they came forward, they they, they looked mm. like scoring. Yeah, I mean, I'd imagine that, that even you know, even nowadays, if teams play, you know, a Georgian side, they they wouldn't know what to expect, and they they'd probably expect a victory though. But back then, I mean, what was the feeling among the fans before the match? You know, West Ham obviously got a bit of cup pedigree, hence they were in the competition. Yeah. Little known, of course, about the opposition. But, I mean, was it, but they were a second division side, so they weren't a first division side, West Ham. So, you know. I think, I think people like, felt they, were, they shouldn't have been in the second division. Because they, mm. they, they were running away with it that, that season. They... they and they won the cup the season before. They beat them 
obviously Arsenal in the final. They've beaten Everton in the semi-final. They've beaten, I think, Aston Villa. And I think they've beaten another first division team on the way. Um, and I think for that reason, that's probably why they didn't get promoted that season. Because they, because they got distracted by the cup. Um, so there is, I know it's an old cliche, too good for the second division. But I think people did think that at the time. Because they, they, they thumped, um, Polytechnic and Timmy Suarez so easily in the previous round. People were confident they could, they could, yeah. they could, they could beat this team. And, and Soviet teams hadn't really done that well in European football at the time. Um, and generally people were fairly confident they could, they could beat this team over two legs. Um, they had no idea what was going to hit them. <laughs> yeah, and it certainly did hit them. And they were 2 0 down at half time. Um, yeah. And then in, into the second half, West Ham did get that goal get back through David uh, Cross, David of Cross. course. Yeah. And then Tbilisi went down right down the other end a minute later and scored again. <laughs> well, there was a bit of controversy, you could argue, over David Cross's goal because the goalkeeper uh, believed that it hadn't crossed the line. Yes. Um, we don't have the camera angles, of course, that we did today, but it seemed like a tight one, Jonathan. I mean, it's just impossible to tell. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd throw yeah, so, that on you. So it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a near post corner. Um, yeah, Cross gets to it. I, I guess the, the classic way that English teams scored against your, your fancy Dan foreigners in those days. And Gabelia, the keeper, you can't even really see what happens because his player's got to go across the line of a camera and there's only the one camera. And he sort of, I'm not even sure if he catches it and drops it or if he just sort of palms it out. The one thing I would say that makes me think it did go in, is he's the only one who protests. None of the other defenders protest. Their, yeah, their reaction point. straight away is to go, oh. so, but I mean, yeah. you, you can't make concrete judgments on that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's given anyway. So no. it was a not goal. That it, not that it mattered, of course, Brian, as you say, uh, up no. the other end. Straight uh, up the other end. Do you know my... <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Um, I, yeah. I, but that's, that goal is, is where, I, where I say, you, I, I still haven't worked out so it it's sort of um it's Shengelia flicks it on and I can't quite see who he flicks it on to. The footage is so bad I can't see the number on the back of the shirt. I think it's Daraselia, but I'm not hundred percent certain. Who then I think he volleys it, but Frank Lampard Senior comes flying in with a challenge. I'm not convinced it's not Frank Lampard Senior who 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 actually his challenge mm-hmm. hits the ball onto the post and it pops it out and Shengelia follows it in. Could it have been Kipiani? No, because I think it's Kipiani's ball forward, isn't it? Okay, okay. Um, but either or, again, when they come forward like they do, and they, they post yeah. hit, and then the rebound is scored again, it just it feels inevitable. It feels like they are just going to either through craft or by force get that ball yes. in the back of the net. Yeah, I, I remember being struck by how quick it, ha- it happened at the time. It was just like a pinball thing, um, mm-hmm. and they reacted so quickly. I mean, if it is a volley, it's is you know the technical quality of that volley is is amazing, it, but it mm, might be yeah. that, that it's it's Lampard's challenge. You really just can't tell. I th- I, th- I think realistically, it must be a volley because I thought it was a volley. If I'm honest, if that's yeah, well, worth anything, you know, <laughs> it, it's worth so much more because I can't tell you. <laughs> we finally solved that one, um, and I thought the ball had crossed the line as well. So no more debate there. Um, and then twelve minutes later, Shengelia again um, down the scores. Right. But yeah. that's but it's the counter-attacking, uh, Brian, that you mentioned at the start of this, just how quickly and effectively yes. uh, Dinamo uh, counter-attacked. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and at that point, we thought this could, this could be six or seven or, or, or something <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that is Kipiani's pass. Uh, yeah. And Kipiani, I think, um, I think he was regarded as being the, in, a, in an exceptionally good side, I think he was regarded as being the best. Um, and it, you know, it's his long pass out to to Shengelia coming in from the right, and it sort of just beats two players, but there's no yeah. real effort to it. And you think he's gone a little bit too far. You, you think that he's closed off the angle and he just shapes it in the in the bottom corner, and it's just a, you know, a brilliant breakaway goal. And I'm not mm. even sure how you're meant to defend against that mm. uh, for for a player coming in on the angle like that. And as soon as he gets to run on them. I mean, I, I guess the thing where you'd be critical of West Ham from a modern point of view, and maybe maybe this is imposing ludicrous modern standards on old football, but they have no protection in front of that back four. You know, I, I mean, they've, they've got Brooking and Pike as the two central midfielders. I guess Brooking's never going to be sitting deep. But whether Pike should have been deeper to give him that protection. But I guess, it, you know, as, as you were saying earlier, as a second division team in, in 1981, you probably just didn't need that. And so... And anyway, how long was it before we sort of generally in British football acknowledged it was quite useful to have one of your teams on the field that's sitting a bit deeper? It's another sort of 15, 20 years where that becomes a, a common feature. So, But that, that's why the goals happen. It's because of that huge amount of space in front of the back four. Mm. Um, and, and the match finishes uh, 4-1, of course. And Brian, it's nice to hear that uh, the Dynamo players got a little bit of a standing ovation or a little or a round of applause, at least, when they went off. Yeah, it was um, it was pretty close to a standing ovation, I'd say, mm. um, which again was surprising. That was pretty rare. I don't think I've ever seen a reception like that at Upton Park, to be honest. But it is one of those games, and when you talk to to West Ham fans, I apologise for this, Brian, of a certain generation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, they do talk in odd terms about this game. It clearly made an, an enormous impression. Yes, the the, the qual- yeah. yeah, and I think that does sometimes. Maybe it doesn't happen quite so much now, but yes, sometimes you play against an opponent who who are just better than you, and you just mm. sort of go think, well, they've been brilliant, and so well done. Yeah, mm. yeah, that that was basically it. I mean, I guess when, mm-hmm. you know, when Ronaldo scored that hat-trick for Real Madrid against Manchester United, uh, mm-hmm. whenever that was, uh, but um, yeah, he was applauded off. So that, yeah, mm-hmm. that's an example of it happening, I mean, what, 15 years ago now, but yeah, it, it does yeah. still occasionally happen. But yeah. yeah. Or, well, the, a, a very rare, another rare one was Ronaldinho at the Bernabeu, of course. Yeah, um, Without yeah, getting yeah. off topic too much. But, um, but yeah, I, the only surprising thing I would say you know, given all the um, the context and uh, and information, was that West Ham actually won the second leg, Brian, one nil away. <laughs> well, yes, um, I think it was a Stuart Pearson goal right at the right at the end. Right. Yeah, possibly. Um, but that that was Tbilisi um, were a very inconsistent um, inconsistent team, I think, because the the final against Carl Zaysiana was was apparently, by all accounts, a, a fairly Dower affair. Um, again, the second leg again was interesting because of the, the, the travel difficulties as well. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, it took twenty-eight hours for them to get to Tbilisi. They 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 had to fly via Moscow. You couldn't fly direct. 
Um, they were held in some departure. They were held in some pen at Moscow Airport for several hours, and then there was some very long bureaucratic uh, process for the players to be able to use the bathroom. They had to apparently an hour long discussion with officials, and, and players had to had to go one by one to the to the bathroom. Eventually, they stayed the night in Moscow, um, and they flew to to Tbilisi the following day. And when they got to BC, they had a a, a really um, um, warm reception, by all accounts. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's what traveling was like in those days. It wasn't, especially yeah. to Eastern Europe. Um, again, yeah. you you earned you earned your away goals back in those days, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, my goodness, yeah. You I mean, going on, yeah. There, and there's and um, there is a, a tantalising. Video on YouTube, which is 48 seconds long, which claims to be <laughs> the second leg, a, a video of the second leg. But, um, all you can get there, all, all you see there is, is, um, some fence. You see the teams coming out onto the pitch. And it does appear to be to Blisi and West Ham. You then see some fences, um, a line of cars. And then you see, um, a television cameraman. And the TV commentator, and 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 that's it. What more do you need? So, I would what more do you think? <laughs> but I see. So I see. I, I think they did show the goal on British television at the time. So I actually find any more footage other than that is is hmm. um is nigh on impossible. Hmm. But I mean, I, I guess um, the game is the game is done, right? It doesn't. Sure. The game doesn't really matter. Yeah. Oh no, the game yeah, was yeah, done. Yeah. But I think again that was. Um, Shows how little we knew about these matches that were played in Eastern Europe at the time. Hmm. The thing that really strikes me there's a there's a photograph um, in taken in Rotterdam before the second leg of a semi final when they they beat the final three yeah. 0 at home they lose two 0 in Rotterdam. But there's a photograph uh, of I think it's Shivadza, Shengelia, and Gutsayev, and they're all wearing very tight trousers. They've all got their hands tucked in their pockets and it looks really uncomfortable, but they somehow <laughs> look unbelievably stylish. Mm. And it's a, a very sort of characteristic sort of Dutch street. So there's one of those Seiko clocks. There's an Austin Reed in the background, but it's that sort of brutalist uh, Rotterdam architecture. And and that that photo, which is is it's on certainly one of those players' Wikipedia pages. It's just a great photo of this was actually what stylish Soviet men looked like at the time. But they do look really stylish, and they also mm. have mustaches were a big thing at the time. Kipiani had a great mustache. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Kipiani died uh, 2001, I think. Uh, died in a car crash. He was only 49. And he still had the moustache then. Uh, and he'd been assistant to the to the national team. Um, and they, they renamed the Georgian Cup after him. Uh, and they, they named the the stadium in his, his hometown of uh, Gujani after him. But this is actually they're quite a tragic team. That A lot mm. of them die young. Yeah. Uh, so Schengelia had a Got a brain hemorrhage and died, uh, age fifty eight in two thousand and twelve, and that the most shocking was Daraselia, who scores the winner, the late winner in the final against Carl Zeisiena, who just after the uh, eighty two World Cup drives his car off a cliff, and and oh. uh, it, it took them thirteen days to find the body because it was swept away by the river, and they they found his body buried in these sandbanks, and they had sort of sniffer dogs out, oh, and mm-hmm. um. So it was, yeah, it was a team that the sort of tragedy, tragedy haunted them, 
Uh, but I mean, Dallas Elliott had been brilliant in the World Cup. You know that 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 '82 Soviet team at the World Cup. Who, yeah, you were. Uh, they're in that group with Brazil and New Zealand and, um, and Scotland. Scotland. And they, the game against Brazil is a really is a brilliant game of football. Yes. But they lose, but it's a brilliant game. And then Scotland need to beat them because their goal difference is better because Brazil had absolutely hammered Scotland. And um, it, it's a two-two draw, and the two scorers are Shivadze and Chengelia. It's you know it's mm-hmm. it's two Georgians who score. That team was was based on at least in part on this team. And, and uh, Akolkatsky, the the manager, was one of the three. The Soviets had three managers. The Beskov was a sort of the head coach, and then they had Lobanovsky and Akolkatsky as his as two sort of assistants. So the Georgian mm-hmm. influence, I think, was never stronger in Soviet football than it was this period in the early eighties. Mm. Well, Chivatso, he went on to manage Georgia, didn't he, in the early noughties, uh, which you know is, is a a more positive uh, a, a story, I think considering some of the ones you've just mentioned there, Jonathan. Yeah, and also uh, Kuznishvili, his son, went on to play for Dundee Mm -hmm. and Rangers and uh, Blackburn and... Was he at Newcastle as well? So, they're people who... The ones who survived are are people who had sort of a a significant Mm -hmm. role in in Georgian football. Um, I mean, Shengelia... Sorry, uh, Gutsayev became an MP. Uh, mm. And I mean, <laughs> you're on positive stories. This isn't positive, but he he was accused. Of They've offering... had a lot of political change in yeah. uh, Georgia. Well, he, uh... he was accused of offering twenty million dollars to the leader uh-huh. of South Ossetia to to stop his independence demands. Really? Uh, okay. So I, I guess that maybe isn't isn't so positive. But uh, yeah, yeah. They, they 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 went on to to sort of play significant roles in in mm-hmm. Georgian football and Georgian Georgian politics. Yeah, well, Dinamo themselves most re- more recently, sorry, uh, more recently in 2013 were hammered by Spurs in a Europa League playoff, eight uh, nil on aggregate, uh, seven or seven and a half, eight years ago now. That was the last time I can sort of remember them reappearing on the map. Uh, but Brian, it's been a pleasure talking to you about this game. It really has because, as I say, sometimes when you see these teams from the past and so on, you think, oh, okay, and then suddenly the context, and you think, well, of course they won the Cup Winners' Cup with a side like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, I mean, Soviet te- Eastern Europe te- uh, Soviet teams at the time weren't as um, weren't as dominant as you might might expect. Um, I think if you look at the line, I think I think UEFA must have been praying that Fortuna Dusseldorf got to that that final because the final was in Dusseldorf, and in fact, the final against Carl's Iciana had, I think. 4,000 people. I think it was the lowest attendance. Yeah, it was the lowest attendance ever at a, a European final. Just because it was so hard for people from Eastern Exa- Bloc to, to get across to the West. And I guess particularly East Germans going to West Germany mm. you know, will, be, will be hugely difficult. Yeah. But again, yeah. To, in the semi-final, they, they hammered final 3-0 three, three at home. But then they, they, mm-hmm. they lost 2-0 away. So... It does seem they were like they were a very inconsistent team, and, and the following year, mm-hmm. I think they got to the semi-final. Jonathan, is that right? Yeah, that, that's right. Lost but they, the... they were they were already, I think, on a decline by then. Um, but I mean, they had yeah, yeah they, they had beaten Napoli in the late seventies. I mean, this, the story about um, uh, so yeah, seventy eight nine they beat Napoli mm-hmm. in the Cup Winners' Cup, uh, and Daricelia 
So they, again, they'd won the home game. I think they won the home game 2-0. They went to Naples. And Daricelli's wife was heavily pregnant. And there was a whole sort of hoo-ha as to whether he would go to Italy or not. And he eventually goes and he says, right, whichever, if any, whoever scores the, the, the first goal, obviously getting the away goal was going to be crucial. So whoever scores that first away goal, if, it, if, if a kid's mm. a, a boy... I'll, I'll name him after whoever scores the goal. And then he scores the goal. So his son is also called Vitali. <laughs> it's a fitting tribute to the, gr- yeah, to the great absolutely. man. He, he sort of bestowed on himself. But, you know, but can, son, can you but... imagine sort of doing that and you're looking around the team and thinking, God, I don't want to call him Nodar. So he's not passing yeah. to Kisneshvili. <laughs> I wouldn't mind him being called David. I'll, I'll pass to Kipiani. That, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's all right. I'll do it myself. I quite like Vitali as a name. <laughs> Oh, gentlemen. Well, there we are. It's, uh, it's it's been great talking about this, and I think I think you know when all said and done about some of these these teams whose star shines very brightly for whether it be a few years or sort of a moment, it, their name is in the history books because they won the Cup Winners' Cup in a, in a, a sort of a European or international kind of wide sense, which is which is marvelous. Well, I think it's one of the tragedies of modern football that a team like Dynamo Tbilisi can't have mm. that kind of success again. I mean, it's a yeah. Georgia's a great football country. It's produced great players. Mm. Um, I mean, this this period we're talking about, you know, seven, you know, so Soviet player of the year, 77 Kipiani, 78 Schengelia, uh 80 Shavadza, 81 Schengelia. So four out of five years, Georgians win mm. Soviet player of the year. But now they'd be plucked off and they'd be playing in mm. you know, in Germany or the, or the Netherlands or, or wherever as soon as they, they show any promise. And you have that huge stadium, you have a Pashadza there, and it's sort of a bit of a white elephant because mm-hmm. apart from the very occasional Georgian national team game, When's it ever going to be full for a game that actually has has real sort of global significance? Do you, do you think that that bringing together some of these smaller leagues um, might be the answer? I mean, you hear it. I mean, all right, Belgium, <laughs> I mean, Belgium, Holland, Luxembourg's the obvious one. I I don't know what you do in that part of the world because because it's so so volatile. But there are there are other countries that could unite. I imagine. Yeah, I mean. Logically, you'd think yes, but then you look at when they they tried to do that uh, with the three Baltic states, with with Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, mm-hmm. and so they had the domestic leagues, but they also had sort of uh, the end of the season they had a had a competition for you know, the best three teams from each country or, or whatever, and nobody cared, nobody went to watch it, so there was no real mm-hmm. appetite for it locally. So uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's two problems of a it's sort of when you've got established domestic leagues, it feels artificial. And so you, you maybe it's hard to get that sort of that interest, and then you've got all the sort of internal political wranglings for, for you know the former Yugoslavia, where they do do that in in basketball, and it seems to work relatively well, um, but I, I you know the the difficulty doing that in football, the security issues raised by doing it in football, I think are so great that it, it just becomes impossible, and UEFA are pretty set against it anyway, so. Yeah, it's the same in Switzerland and Austria. I remember talking to someone from FC Basel about it once, and he said, "Well, how about um, a joint league?" And he said, "Our supporters would rather face FC Zurich four times a year than than play against Sturm Graz or or Wacker mm. Innsbruck." It's, it's, it's no. I don't know if it would make more sense in 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 areas where the sort of was that tradition. So. Whether Austria and Hungary, I mean, again, politically at the minute, there's no way that could happen. <laughs> but the fact yeah. that their teams did club sides certainly before the Second World War played each other so often, and there's such a sort of mutual influence. Whether it's more palatable there, but I, I, I think there's so many obstacles, it becomes mm. almost impossible. But it, it's it's unhelpful that it's impossible. Yeah, there we are, Brian. Pleasure. 
having you on the podcast. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Marcus. Uh, for more stories like that, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. Uh, but myself and Jonathan will be back next week with another great game from the world of football. See you then. Thank you.